Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right, how's everybody doing today? Well, if y'all remember last week, I started a new sermon series, although you may not remember. Well, we're ditching that. So um, last Sunday night, where I guess would have been Monday morning, actually, um, I woke up about 3.30 in the morning, and usually I can wake up and go back to sleep pretty quickly, and I just couldn't. And so finally I said, okay, God, do I need to talk to you or do you need to talk to me? And I really felt like God was in, speaking to me. Now, I, I don't know, maybe I had bad beans the night before or something, but I really did feel like God was saying, I, I want you to, to preach on the, the subject of, of who is God, who I am. And I'm like, oh, sure, that would be easy. Um, and so we're going to start on this series. I was joking about that, by the way. I don't know if y'all caught that. Because there's so much about God that is beyond our understanding. And that's one of the first things that you realize about him, that he, he is beyond our ability to comprehend. And there are two things that we're going to talk about today that are um, mysterious and yet true. And one is how God is beyond us. And the second is how God wants to have a personal relationship with each one of us. And both of those things, you'd think... Are, would make the other impossible, but they're not. And we're going to talk about that, and we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And this is where, um, to our knowledge, you know, God is an eternal being backwards, as well as he is an eternal being forwards, always been. Um, and yet, in our consciousness, it begins what our, our comprehension of God begins in Genesis chapter 1. So if you'd please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, we don't know that this light that is talked about is the sun. Maybe it was another light, but when you think about how God created the sun, and the power of the sun is beyond anything that man has been able to come up with. I mean, we, we cannot in any way duplicate the power and the strength of the sun. We found ways to harness its energy. You know, we enjoy its light. And yet, to think that this, this God could just say, let there be light, and there is this powerful thing that is beyond our ability. We can't get too close to it. We can't touch it. There are no missions to the sun because anybody would burn up. We can't replicate its power. We can't figure out how it works 100%. And yet God just said, let there be light, and there it was. I mean, there wasn't like, hey, God went and gathered all these things and did all this stuff. It was just, boom, by the power of his word, something more powerful than our ability to ever comprehend or duplicate was created in that, in that moment by his word. And that's just a fraction of the power of God. And so how are we supposed to comprehend that? How do you get your mind around that? And there's so many ways that we just can't. And yet God has, through time, revealed himself to us has shown his power to us, has shown his goodness to us. What we know about God is because God revealed it to us. 
God shows up to Abraham and says, hey, I'm your God. I want to I make a covenant with you. I want you to do this. God comes to Moses and says, hey, I want you to go tell my people. And, and Moses, okay. You know, after a little bit of arguing, Moses says, but, you know, when I go to the people of Israel and I say, God, you know, this something sent me, what name do I give them? Who do I say sent me? And God says, you just tell them I am that I am. I mean, what kind of answer is that? What does that mean? He exists, and what he's saying is, I'm, I'm, you, can't, you can't reduce me down to a name. He's bigger than that. And so here we have this God of this immense power that is eternal and has, is omniscient, all-powerful, all all-knowing, knows everything, and is holy, 100% perfect. And so what do you do with a God like that? Well, David kind of figured it out. Hey, it's better to have, you, there's times we all want a powerful God. You know, am I right? I mean, there's times when you're faced with something and, and you want God to be powerful. You want God to be able to do anything. You want to be able to come to this being that can speak a universe into existence. You want to be able to come to a God who just by his word can change whatever needs to be changed. And so David it says in 1 Chronicles 29, 10 through 12, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. Oh, Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel. He's, he's tying back, God, you, you've been our God for a long time. May you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O oh Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours. O oh Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion people are made great and given strength. And you know, we, we, we love that power, and we want God to have that power, but it's also a little scary it's also awe-inspiring, and there should be. The Bible talks about having a fear of the Lord, and that's because of this great power and because of his holiness and because he can do these things. And so those two things kind of go together. And yet here's this thing is that God wants us to not just know about what he looks like from a distance. He wants us to experience him up close. And in some ways, that's just so indescribable, isn't it? You know, all of us have some experience where, you know, we've gone to the mountains or we've gone to a specific place or maybe we've gone overseas to somewhere. And you come back and, you know, you, you've, you've got these pictures. And everybody says, well, what are they? Well, pictures don't really do it justice. You need to see it for yourself. And so we can learn all these things about God. We can know about his power. We can know about all these things. But there's something that's a whole different thing to experience and to know him up close. And when you see how big God is, there's something about us that kind of wants to keep that at a distance. Because it is awe-inspiring. And there is something about that kind of power that if you've never just thought, I hate to break this to you, but... So many times I thought, man, I am, I'm a grain of sand in a huge sea of sand. 
I mean, billions of people lived on this earth. Billions of people are going to live after unless Jesus comes back before that happens. And so what is my life? Who am I in that huge sea of people? And yet, you know what the scripture tells us? That God knows every one of us. And that he wants us to know him. And at the same time, he tells us there's some things you just can't understand. And you won't get while you're here on this earth. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And so you, you see this awesome power of God. And we just, so many times we kind of get this picture of God as just being this far off, distant way away from us. You know, yeah, he can see what we're doing. He knows what we're doing. He knows when we, you know, when we mess up. But he's just, he's just a long way off. But in all of that, God created us to live in relationship with him. He created us to know him. In the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, the Bible says that God would walk with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the evening. He had fellowship with them. They were in his presence. And that's the way God wanted it to be. God designed it that way. You know, one of the amazing things about the creation of God is, is us. You know, we're a church that, that is pro-life and we defend babies and their, their, their right to be born. And that's born out of the knowledge that God created every single child in the womb. And you know, here's the thing. Every single child in the womb, there has never been one like, like them before. And there will never be another one like them afterwards. Because God created, and you know, we, we found just enough out about science to know that every single person on the earth is uniquely made. They are, there are no two that are exactly alike. None. They have a unique DNA, a unique fingerprint of God's creation upon them. And God is limitless in his creativeness. He continues to create new people, created in his image. And that's the other part of it that is amazing, is though even though we're, we're this tiny little grain of sand in the universe, that God created us to look like him, to be like him, to reflect who he is. And he wants to have a relationship with us. Now, you can look at it two ways, and probably will. Why in the world would God want to know me? But the other side of that is, this God wants to know me, and he wants to know you. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. It's amazing. Now, there's a problem it's what caused Adam and Eve to go from walking with God in the cool of the evening in the garden to hiding from him when they heard him walking 
And that's this thing called sin. And this sin separated God from man because God wants to be with us. He created us to live in relationship with him. But we rebelled and we've sinned. And God is also holy and just. And we're going to get to that more fully in another week. But here's the thing. There's, there's a separation in our fellowship with God, and that's our sin. And as a matter of fact, even in the Old Testament, there are example after example of how God wants to draw his people in to be near him, but there are problems. And in Exodus 19, God says, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want you to gather all the people. They're going to come up to the mountain, and I'm going to come down on the mountain, and I'm going to let them come up on the mountain and be in my presence when I say it's okay. But he tells him in Exodus 19, 21 through 22, he told him that until I tell you, don't cross this line. Don't touch the mountain. If you even touch it before I tell you, you're going to die. He says, then the Lord told Moses, go back down and warn the people not to break through the boundaries to see the Lord or they will die. Even the priests who regularly come near to the Lord must purify themselves so the Lord does not break out and destroy them. Now, that's kind of a, I don't know. Somebody invited you over to a dinner party and said, I want you to sit out in the car until I tell you it's time to come in. And by the way, if you come in too early, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I mean, how many of y'all are like, oh, that's a party I want to go to? <laughs> I mean, there's part of you like, whoa, man, that's, that's I don't know about that. And so we pull back and we're reluctant. And we, even after we know Jesus, we know we're still sinful. And deep down we know, I, can I get close enough? Can I get close to God? How close can I get? Maybe it's better to just keep him at a distance. Oh, God, who are in the heavens far, far, far away, could you do this for me? Could you do that for me? But see, God has always wanted to be with us, with those that he created. You know, God's chosen people didn't choose him. He chose them. And the same thing is true for us. God pursued you. He came after you. He drew you to himself. You didn't find him by accident, and you didn't find him on your own. Now, when he draws you, you still have a will. You can say no. But you're here because God drew you and because he pursued you. Because he loves you. You know, there's, God is just. He gives the right sentence for those who've broken the law, but he's also merciful. He's a God whose wrath is 100% justified, but he's also love. And because of that love, he wants to be with us. In Jeremiah 32, it says, they will be my people and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one purpose to worship me forever. So you might think, well, so God just wants us to worship him. Why? For their own good and for the good of all their descendants. You know, our natural place, the place we were created to be, was to live in worship of God and to live in relationship with him. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will, listen to this, I will never stop doing good for them. 
I will put a desire in their hearts to worship me, and they will never leave me. I will find joy doing good for them and will faithfully and wholeheartedly replant them in this land. Do you, you catch that? God loves to give to his people. You know, you love giving to your kids, and then when you have grandkids, you, you, you give them anything. I mean, my, my kids know. I have a one-year-old, and I've told them already, if she wants ice cream for breakfast when she's at Papa B's house, that's what she gets. Ice cream and cake, if she wants that. I don't care. I ain't bashful. I'm going to spoil the dog out of her. I, I love giving stuff to her. We have a, my wife, we have a whole collection of toys and stuff at our house just for her to play with when she comes to our house because we love giving to her. You know what? That's the way your father looks at you. He wants to give. He finds joy in providing for his people. Psalm 139, 1 through 4, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. That's one of the hard things for us, isn't it? Because we know things in our heart that we'd rather not anybody else know, and we wish God didn't know. He knows all that, and he loves you anyway. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You know what? There's like, oh, that's cool. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute. God knew the moment you opened your eyes this morning. And when you got up, he was watching. And when you got ready for church and you, you got all your family in the car, he saw that. And when you had a knockdown, drag out fight with your kids on the way to church, he was there and he saw it. When you got out of church and everybody tried to pretend like everything was all good and we just love Jesus here. He saw that too, he knows. But here's something I want you to get. It's not that God is... is Watching you, waiting to zap you. You know, my favorite form of entertainment now is watching my granddaughter. I'm just fascinated by her. I watch everything she does. Every, everything that comes out of her mouth, I think she said this. The way she plays, the way she crawls around, the way she looks at me, her little snaggletooth smile. I look at all those things, and I love watching her because I love her because she's a part of me. She's, she's our family. And I want you to see God is looking at you that way. Yeah, it doesn't mean that he's going to ignore when we do things. He, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. And I'm not saying I won't discipline my, my granddaughter when I need to because I want her to be safe. No, you can't go play out in the road. No, you can't. No, you can't do that. Yeah, I want her to be safe. But I'm not watching her because I want to find her doing something wrong. I'm watching her because I delight in her. And your Heavenly Father's watching you the same way. He knows everything about you. You know, uh, there's a simple truth. There is nothing you could possibly do, nothing that would make God love you any more than he loves you right now. There's nothing you can do. He loves you with the, the utmost love right in this moment. 
And on the other side, there is nothing that you could do, nothing you could possibly do that would ever make God love you any less. Both of those things are true. And there's some things, there's parts of who God is that can only be known through experiencing him. You know, we're, we try to explain those things in life that we're passionate about, that we love. Hey, I went here. This is something that I do. I love doing this. This is my favorite restaurant. This is why I like it. But in the end, it always comes down to this one thing. The, the explanations and the descriptions of it are just never quite enough, are they? Somebody comes back and tells you, oh, man, I had this food. It was awesome. It, 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 was, you know, it tastes this way. I love this. And you're like, yeah, I don't know. I might like it. Maybe not. The only way you'll ever know is if you experience it. And that's true about a relationship with God. You can know a lot of things about God. You know, you can get all the information about um, Mount Everest that you want. You can watch documentaries. You can learn all the facts about it. And you can even go and see it from a distance. But there's a totally different deal between seeing it from a distance and going up and being on a mountain. That's a totally different experience. When Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tent. See, God demonstrated through Moses what a relationship with him was supposed to look like. And all the people from Israel would, because they, they weren't all able to do that. They, they watched from a distance. They could see the presence of God come down on the tent. They saw Moses going in. They saw the results of it when Moses came out. They would all watch until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And you know, Paul talks about it later on about how when Moses would come out of the tent from being in the presence of God, that his face would literally shine. It was transforming, just being in the presence of God. Joshua, who was a young man at the time, would go and he wouldn't be in the presence of God like Moses was, but he would just be at the tent. And just being that close to God was so powerful to Joshua that it says in, this, in the next verse, Afterwards, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. He was so overcome by the presence of God. You know what? If there's anything, there are all kinds of, when you talk about the American church, all the churches that claim to be Christian, there's a lot of, a lot of things that need to be fixed. A, a return in a lot of them, to, to truly believing and teaching the Word of God and not just tickling people's ears, as it says in Scripture. There's things we ought to stand up for that we're not standing up for enough. There's things we ought to, we ought to be loving people more than we love them. 
There are things we need to be clear on about what is sin and what's not. There's all kinds of things. But you know what would, the, the underlying issue behind a lot of those things is a lack of the presence of God. Not only in churches, but in the lives of those who come. And I, I get it, I'm talking about something that sounds kind of abstract. And you're like, well, what, is, what does that mean? Tell you what, when you're in the presence of God, you're, there, there used to be a, a hymn we sang, and I don't remember all of it, I don't remember the name of it, but I remember it talking about, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. And that is a description of being in the presence of God, is you are so overcome by who God is and by being in his presence that nothing else matters. Being in the presence of God shows you what's important and what's not. It reveals the truth. You know, you go in thinking this is really important and you realize when you're in presence, that doesn't matter. So how can we know him? You know, how do we long? What do what does it mean to long for the presence of God? How can you be in his presence? If you're a believer, here's part of the deal. An advantage we have over those that lived during the Old Testament up to the time of Jesus is that we now have the Holy Spirit. God himself dwells in us. The Spirit's come to teach us all things. We have so much advantage when it comes to knowing God because God already dwells within us. And you know, I, I, hey, God's presence is everywhere. But there's a difference between God being everywhere and seeing everything and knowing everything and experiencing the presence of God. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, how, how can we know him? It, it, it begins with Jesus. So then, since we have a great high priest, and who was the high priest? He was the one who, who stood before or led the people into the presence of God when they would come down to the tent of meeting or the temple later on. And they would go in first and make a sacrifice on behalf of the people. We have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. And because he did not sin, when he died on the cross, he removed that barrier that was between us and God, that problem of sin that caused us to have to view God from a distance. That's gone now. There's nothing that's between us and God. So what does it say? So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. We can come boldly into the throne of our gracious God. You know, there's a, there's a, a famous picture of... John F. Kennedy in the, in the Oval Office, and there are, there are other people in the room, and he's, you know, the leader of the most powerful nation on earth, 
and he's doing leader of the most powerful nation on earth stuff with people. And everybody wanted an audience with the president. And they're in there, and they're, they're having their moments, and they're going to say what they want to say, and they're doing business that might affect the whole world. And yet, underneath this desk in the Oval Office, you see a child, and he's crawling around at the feet of the most powerful man in the world. And it was John F. Kennedy Jr. And you get this picture that, why was he allowed to be in there? Because he's his son. Because it's his son. And you know, that picture, it, it helped me to understand somewhat. And because I wanted my kids to know what it was like to have that kind of access to their father. Some of y'all may have been in a meeting and one of my kids would just come wandering in when they were little or whatever. And I never once chastised them for coming in because I always wanted them to know they could come into my office no matter what. Now, I might say, hey, I need you to go play for a little while. I'll get with you, whatever. But my door was always open to them. Why? Because I wanted them to know that was the way they could be with their Heavenly Father when they came to have a relationship with Him. Because that's the way our Heavenly Father is with us. We can enter the throne room of grace at any time. Boldly. Because that's our, our dad. And I know some would think, well, man, it's kind of disrespectful to call God dad. It's scriptural. That scripture that says, cries out, Abba, Father, that we can cry out, Abba, Father, that Abba is the Arabic version of the word dad. It's a term of endearment, of familiarity. And we can approach our father that way. Because of Jesus, because of what he's done. So how do we do that? We, we got to seek him out. We got to enter the throne room of grace. And in Jeremiah 29, it says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. In those days, when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. What do we got? We got to seek the presence of God. You know, we get so caught up sometimes in seeking the hand of God and what God can give and what God can do and how God can intervene. And sometimes not even just for us, but for other people. That we forget one of the most important things, and that is to seek the face of God. David said, your face, O God, will I seek. Because when, you're, when you have God's attention and you have the ability to go into the throne room of grace... You know, as God built that into us, that, that ability to, to reflect his, his glory and who he is, you know, every, every baby learns at some point. They're sitting in your lap, and maybe you're looking on the phone, or you're watching TV, or you're talking to somebody, you're not paying attention, and they want your attention. What do they do? They put their hands on your face, and they turn your head to them because they want you to be present with them. And we can, if when we seek after God and when we desire to seek his face, we can experience, as crazy as it sounds, this God who sees everything going on, we can know his presence and be with him in a way that is so personal. 
but we have to seek him. James 4, 7 through 8. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, our sin is, is a hindrance to our fellowship with God. And you know what? Here's one of the things that it does. Is it causes us to want to avoid him. We don't want to be in the presence of God when we know. Because conviction is there too. Hey, you need to fix this. Because God loves us enough to not just ignore things. He loves us enough to say, this is going to wreck you. Whenever God says don't, he's saying don't get hurt. And he loves us enough to tell us. So what do we do? We, we, we humble ourselves before God, resist the devil, turn from our sins, turn to him. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. If your loyalty is divided between God and the world, you're not seeking him wholeheartedly. Now, it doesn't mean you've got to be perfect to seek God because nobody is. But you've got to humble yourself and seek him. And one of the things that, that you'll find is that being in the presence of God is more valuable than anything God could give you. Paul was running through the list of all the things that he had accomplished in life. And he says in Philippians 3, 7 through 11, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness, though obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. What Paul is saying there is I, I, I want to die. I want all those things in me that are not of God to die. I want them killed off, no matter what it takes. Because he recognized that the presence of God was greater than any of those things. Now, how do you experience the presence of God? You, you got to, those things, that's how you do it. What it's like for you, I can't testify to that. Just like I couldn't, I could tell you about the most beautiful place I know on earth and send you there, but I couldn't tell you how you would experience that moment or how it would seem to you. And I know I'm talking a little bit in the abstract, but I tell you what, when you're in the presence of God, one of the ways you'll know is the things of earth will grow strangely dim. And sometimes the things you thought were important, you'll realize weren't. And some, you, you will come out of the presence of God changed. As a matter of fact, that's one of our greatest promises. Is the scripture tells us that in the end, when, when we meet Jesus in the air, we're going to see him as he is, there's nothing that's going to restrict our ability to see Jesus exactly how he is.
And you know what it says? That when we see him as he is, that we will become like him because we've seen him. The presence of God is so powerful that when you come into his presence, it transforms you. It changes you. Every time you're in the presence of God, you become a little bit more like Jesus. And someday when we come into his presence, it's going to be finished. And we're going to be made perfect. We're going to be made to be eternal. Inside right now, we were made to be eternal. Outside, we're not. This, this, this just a, it's just a tent, a temporary dwelling. Someday we're going to have a permanent one of these, and we're going to have a heart that's going to be pure and without sin. And the joy of that is, the Scripture tells us, we'll, we'll never know fear anymore, sickness, sorrow, None of those things. What a glorious day that will be. And being in the presence of God now is a taste of what eternity will be like. And you might be saying, well, I don't even know how to start. I don't know that I really have a desire for the presence of God. My suggestion to you is start seeking him through the word and through prayer. And sometimes prayer is about what we need to talk about. We need to share with God. We need to unload our burdens before him. And sometimes prayer is about listening to what God needs to say to you. But long for the presence of God. If you don't have that long, and ask God to put it in you. One of those passages I talked about earlier said, I will give them a desire to worship me. Some of us, we need that first. That's okay. I know you feel, if you don't feel inadequate about how it is and what it means to go into the presence of God, then you're delusional. God promises he will give us what we need. And so just start out by asking. And then, you know what? Start looking for God in your everyday life. I mean, everybody sees God when it's sunset, when there's a beautiful, oh man, wow, God did good. But that ain't the first time God shows up in a day, you know that? You can see him all through the day. But we have to have our eyes open, we have to be seeking him. See God. What an amazing privilege we have through a relationship with Jesus to be able to know the God of the universe. To be able to approach him with boldness as a son or a daughter at any time, in times of need, even needs we don't know we have. Be committed to seeking God and to knowing his presence. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? If you don't have a relationship with Christ, I want to give you the opportunity to be introduced to him, to begin that relationship today. And it's three simple things. Number one, you've got to admit that you're a sinner and ask forgiveness of your sins. It's that simple. Every, every one of us has sinned. Second thing is you've got to believe in Jesus. 
Jesus wasn't just some guy, he's God's son, God in the flesh, God with us. And as a perfect high priest, he walked this earth without sin so that he could be a sacrifice for you and for me. He paid the penalty for your sin so you wouldn't have to. And he made a way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by me. The way that we receive that forgiveness is through a relationship with Christ. And so you got to admit your sinner, ask forgiveness, believe in Jesus. And then the last thing is confess him as Lord. Romans 10, 9, and 10. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. It wasn't easy. It took God becoming flesh, living a sinless life for 30 years, walking this earth amongst people that wanted to kill him and then eventually dying a death on the cross before being resurrected after three days on the third day. So it wasn't easy, but it's simple for us. So if you would like to know that your sins are forgiven, that you, you have a right relationship with God and that you're going to be with him for eternity, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me right now. You can pray it in your heart. God will hear you. You don't have to pray it out loud. And if you'd rather pray in your own words, you can do that. Or you can repeat this after me. But if that's you and you want to know those things, pray this with me now. Dear God, thank you for loving me and thank you for Jesus. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he rose on the third day according to scripture. So today, I trust Jesus as my savior. And I confess him as my Lord. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask one thing of you. I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. You don't have to say anything in front of anybody. But if you prayed that prayer today, I want you to look up at me and keep looking until I see you. If you prayed that prayer today, look up at me right now. Okay. All right. I'll see you. Okay. I got you. Okay. All right. Now here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to know that right now, if you prayed that prayer in your minute, that you are saved, you are God's child, his son or his daughter. And nothing can change that. Jesus said, once you belong to him, you are in his father's hand and no one is able to snatch you from his father's hand. So that is done. But it is important that you tell someone, you talk to someone about it. So if you came here with your parents and you're younger, I want you to tell your parents as soon as the service is over about the decision that you made to follow Christ. We would love to speak with you. There's a number on the screen. You can just text SAVE to that number or you can open a, a short form with that code that's on the screen. It's also in your bulletin so you can take it home and do it whenever you want. And what we would love to do is just answer any questions that you have and then talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. We don't want anything from you. We're not going to ask you for anything. 
You're welcome to come to this church. We'd love to have you. But if you don't, that's fine. We want to help you anyway. That's what we do. So let someone know about your decision to follow Christ. And I want to pray for you right now. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the means you have given us to know you, to have fellowship with you and have a relationship with you. And Father, I pray particularly for those that made a decision today to trust you, to trust Jesus as their Savior and confess him as their Lord. Father, I pray you'd show yourself to them, speak to them through your word. Father, help them to find the right church where they can grow in their walk with you. And Father, we just rejoice with them in their new freedom and in the forgiveness in which they stand. Father, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.